body coming and being together, but it's an opportunity for us uh, to serve our city. And there are numerous families and guests and neighbors and visitors that are going to want to come, want to bring their children, uh, their students. Uh, They're going to be looking for ministries that begin to touch and bless them as a family. And so we're looking for children's ministry and student ministry and people who've served in those ministries, or even if you haven't, to find ways to volunteer, to get involved, so that those ministries would be strengthened and ready for as we begin to open up our services to the city that we could really bless them. So be in contact with ministry leaders as they're reaching out to you, letting you know about our hopes of kind of relaunching ministries at the Cove campus and downtown campus. Uh, Let them know how you want to be involved. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. And I want to to look at the first two verses of chapter 2. And we we highlighted these last week. But I'd like to take kind of a running start at this section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at in verse 3 through 6. So look with me. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. As we've looked at this letter over the last few weeks, John is giving us a real sense that from him, kind of as a, as a, a patriarch, as, as a grandfather within the faith, He is hoping that his readers, his audience, and you and I would encounter a deep certainty, an assurance in our faith that we would know that we are saved, that we would know that we are truly Christian. And what you begin to realize in this hope that John has, kind of grounding us into this kind of certainty and this assurance, John is watching so-called Christians begin to talk about the faith in a way of experiencing God, having kind of certain secret knowledge or mystical experiences of God. And they, they elevate these kind of spiritual insights that they're experiencing and they're receiving, but they devalue a lifestyle. They devalue what it looks like to really see these truths that they're learning really affect how they're living day to day. John knew that if a spiritual truth is to be true, that it must also change and transform how we live. And this this disconnect that John was seeing, that people could talk about God, they could say that they know God, they could confess things, profess things about God, and yet their lifestyle didn't seem to be altered, to be changed. This is what John is addressing He says, not only are those people whose lifestyles are no longer walking in obedience, who aren't following the commands of God, not only are they wrong about what it means to be in Christ, but they may not be Christians at all. And this is what John is wanting us to see, that for John, this knowing of God is a truth that transforms. 
This knowing of God is a truth that transforms. This truth, this knowing of God is so powerful, so significant, that it begins to flood into every area of our life. You can have experiences like that. You may know people who've had certain kind of profound, shaping, redirecting experiences that it has forever altered their life. Maybe you've done this or has a friend who has kind of escaped a car accident, a car accident in which they were involved in that surely would have killed them. But, I mean, very special circumstances caused their life to be spared, and they've walked away from that particular accident with a second chance on life, and they, they understand that. And from that moment, they have made decisions. They have altered the course of their life. They're doing different things because they realize that their life now is a gift, that where they should be is um, someplace else. You may know people, maybe this is true for you too, that you've experienced a certain medical situation, something with your health. And because of the situation that you're now dealing with, there are certain kind of cautions that you are aware of, certain restrictions in your diet. There are certain things about your health that you're more sensitive to than you were before. And it's altered now the foods that you eat. It's altered certain exercise. It's altered your life and its activity. But there are certain things from this medical situation, from this experience that you've had, it has changed and redirected your life. It might be the loss of a loved one. It might be getting married or having a child. When Jennifer was having our first baby, she was 42 weeks into her pregnancy when they decided to bring her into the hospital and induce labor. And so on August 1st of 2000, we showed up at the hospital at 8 a.m. in the morning, and she, we went into the room, and she was kind of uh, given all the necessary IVs and drugs to begin to start the the, the labor process, and from 8 a.m. until kind of midday around lunchtime, not much was really happening, so I thought maybe it was a good idea for me to slip out and get some lunch. Uh, there was also this amazing, amazing Cajun restaurant right across the street from the hospital, and so 25 minutes later, I came back with a shrimp po' boy, and uh, Jennifer was right where I left her. She hadn't moved. Nothing had changed. Nothing had happened. Uh, I offered her a bite of my sandwich, but she said something about, you know, doctor's restrictions or precautions or something like that. She looked a little irritated, I'll be honest. She, she didn't seem real happy with my decision to leave and come back with food. Uh, and, and when I was actually, I didn't realize that this little tasty small sandwich would be part of this story for forever. But even when I told her this week that I said, I think I'm going to talk about, you know, the birth of our first child. She says, make sure you tell them about the sandwich that you ate. So, as I'm eating the sandwich and we're moving through the afternoon, about 4 p.m., that's when everything really starts to cut loose. Everything, you know, a lot more action. She's pushing, she's working. I'm up by her, holding her hand. She's in a lot of discomfort, squeezing my hand really hard, which, which hurt. So I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I went down to the foot of the bed where, you know, the action was. And within moments, this cone-headed, wet little baby is in my arms. And meeting your child face-to-face for the first time, you grab the scissors, you're cutting the umbilical cord. Like, I'm cutting the cord wondering, is this going to hurt Jennifer further? Is the baby going to start crying? Like, what's happening here? The moment where you meet your child face-to-face is life-changing. It will, it forever kind of redefines who you are and your role now as a dad. 
Now, it's not, it's not just redefining and reshaping for me. I thought about my, my daughter, Lydia, too. I mean, for the first nine months of her life, she's been swimming around in the dark, then all of a sudden kind of forced out into the light, right? And to, to come face to face with the family that she belongs to and to begin to figure out what it means to be part of our family. This, this idea of your life being changed and shaped, you know, Jesus uses even a very similar idea to this, that becoming a Christian is like being born. It's like starting over again. Like it is so profound, so redirecting that your life kind of starts new and, and you begin through this moment of belief, through this knowing God so transformed that you find yourself now belonging to a new family. You, you, you're coming face to face with brothers and sisters and a father that you have. Even John picks up on this very idea in his own gospel when he says this in John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This, this idea of being born into something, like what John is trying to help us understand is that knowing God does not leave someone unchallenged or unchanged. That to truly know God, to believe in him, to see what God has done through Jesus changes who we are, changes whose we are. That this idea of what we believe, what we've come to know about God, begins to affect whose we are, who, who we belong to. And so belief moves from this sense of belonging to a new way of behaving. You can write that down. From belief, you move to belonging to a sense of behaving and how you live, knowing the amazing truth of God's redemptive plan through Jesus for the world. Jesus, as our, our Lord and Savior, then births us into a new family in which we now learn how to live differently, live, live better, be, be more human to our nature and who God intended our purpose to be. This is what we begin to see. This is what John is saying. And so when John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, he says, we may know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Listen to what John is saying. Do you want to know that you know? Do you want to know that you really know God? He says this, it's it's not in this claiming to know God. There was no absence in John's day of people claiming to know God. What was absent was obedience. What was absent was a, was a lifestyle that matched confession. And this is what John began to say, that there's more than an emotional experience that you have. There's more than some kind of mystical insight. It's more than a dream. It's more than a vision. There's something about what John is laying out for us is that verbal profession, kind of absent of some kind of moral change, some kind of moral obedience, is self-delusion. That if those two things are not connected, the confession, the profession, the knowing of it, and a change and a redirection and reshaping of your life, then you don't really know God. How do you know? 
that you know God. John says, if you obey. If you obey. True knowing of God is not a sentimental language. That it, the, the, the affirmation, right, the, the confirmation of us truly knowing God and belonging to this new family of God, being a child of God, is not in the it's not in the confession of our lips, it's in the conduct of our lives. So John begins to set out with this really important part for us that our lives must begin to look different. Our lives must begin to be moved and shaped by the commands of God. We must be obedient. Okay, so what is, what is obedience? Obedience is this. Obedience is it's a compliance or submission to someone else's will. It's, it's within a moment of you choosing to make somebody else's will and decision more important than your own will. That's what obedience is. And obedience is confirmed throughout the Bible. Uh, you don't get very far into the story. When you see around in Genesis, in the garden, there is a tree in which Adam and Eve are told, do not eat from this tree. It's not much, much longer in the story that you see God's people rallying around Mount Sinai, meeting God, and God bringing them commandments, telling them, do these things and don't do these things. You move into the New Testament, Jesus' own words in John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20 Jesus is commissioning the disciples to go out, and he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. It's this idea of allowing somebody else's will to be first, to be directive. Many of you have been on a team at some point. You've had a coach. Maybe you've gone to the gym and actually paid a personal trainer for this very same experience. But at some point along the training, at some point within the practice, when everything in you says you want to stop, you want to quit, you don't want to go any farther, the coach says, I want you to do that one more time. And everything in you says, no, I don't want to do it one more time. But the coach says, do it one more time, and you do it. And there's a moment in that where you realize that God is kind of moving us to do things that we don't often feel like we want to do. We don't feel like they're the best. You listen, you may be thinking like, man, I don't know if I like the idea of God kind of bossing me around. Kind of his will always being most important. Kind of him just kind of telling me what to do. Telling me to do this or telling me to do that or just telling me one more time. I don't really love the way that feels. And, and that's, a, that's a fair sentiment until you watch the movie The Karate Kid. But there's the moment within this Karate Kid movie, you know it, where Daniel is wanting to learn karate, so he goes to Mr. Miyagi. He says, will you train me? Will you teach me the art of karate? And what does Mr. Miyagi do? He says, yes, but the very next day, what does Daniel find himself doing? He's painting a fence, waxing a car, he's sanding the floors. Right? There's these, all these activities that he's doing that he's getting frustrated with, he's getting tired of, and the movie kind of gets to that moment where Daniel is about to walk out on Mr. Miyagi. He's not learning anything. He's frustrated. He's here to learn karate, but Mr. Miyagi is making him do chores. And at that moment, Mr. Miyagi kind of 
brings together, weaves together all of these things that Daniel has been doing, and he realizes that he's been learning the fundamentals. He's been learning the basics of karate through all these other activities. He didn't know it, but the master did. And this is what you begin to realize, that what the Bible offers us in insights to obedience, it's more than just you and I being submissive, that there's something within our doing and obeying, our following the commands of God, our allowing His will to be the most directive thing in our life. When we allow that to happen, there's a greater experience happening going on. This is what John wants us to see, is that obedience to the Lord is more than being simply submissive. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is sometimes the translation of love for God or love of God. And what we see here is this, that obedience not only confirms that we know God, that we really know him and belong to him, obedience becomes an experience of love. Through obedience, love is rounded out. Love is completed. Love is perfected. That God gives us things to do, commands and directives to reshape our lives. And a couple of things I want you to see is that God deepens our love through obedience in a couple of ways. And I'll say, first one is this. It reveals the love of God to us that he would direct our lives towards a specific design for us that it reveals God's love to us, that God would be that intentional to direct our lives towards a particular design. I'll I'll give you just a little little insight into me. Gas stations tend to make me nervous. Um, There there are a couple stories that have contributed to that over the years. Uh, A college roommate of mine uh, has a story in which he pulled into a gas station, was filling up his car, went inside to pay the attendant, got in his car, was driving away when he realized that he had forgotten to take the gas handle, the pump handle, out of the tank. And as he drove away, the handle and the hose ripped from the gas, ripped from the pump, gas spewing everywhere. And ever since he told me that story, I've had this deep concern that that could happen to me as well, that I could leave the handle in, drive off, gas spewing everywhere, the Look in the rearview mirror, the the gas pump is blown up, everything is in destruction. Nicolas Cage is walking out in the middle of fire everywhere. Like this, you know, it's it's scary. It's a scary thought. Add that, add add that story to this one. Uh, A friend of mine moving from his home state to seminary was at a gas station filling up the moving truck. And as he filled up the moving truck, again, went in, paid the attendant, came back out, he realized that he had put diesel fuel in the moving truck that took only regular unleaded gas. Well, everybody around him says, do not start that vehicle. If you start that vehicle, you will ruin the engine. I don't know if your like, provisional renter's insurance covers that, or covers replacing an entire moving truck. So he had to stop his trip. He's hours from home, hours from his destination. He had to find another rental truck in the parking lot, take everything out of the rental truck and put it into another one. He had to move twice and then find a tow truck to take the rental truck that he had ruined you know, back, to the, back to the shop, back to the store. So, this, this idea, so these kinds of things concern me. 
And so when I'm, when I'm pulling around and I get that particular pump that has kind of the regular unleaded handle and the diesel handle, like there's a bit of a battle going inside of me. Like I know that I could mess this up. I could put the wrong fuel inside. And when we end up putting kind of the wrong fuel inside of our car, what happens is it, it ruins the vehicle because it's, it's not designed for that gas. Now, this is the point that John is trying to make, that there is a design to our lives. There is a certain fuel for a certain kind of person, a, for a certain design, and to know God, to know God and to be kind of birthed into his new family, to belong to him, that there's a certain design to our lives. And there's a certain fuel that our lives were meant to run on. So, so God's instructions, his commands, I'll say this, his restrictions are actually meant to free us rather than inhibit us. Meaning, what truck is more free? The one with diesel fuel in it that's a diesel truck? Is that truck more free than the diesel truck that has regular fuel in it? The, the point is, when you and I are running off the fuel that our lives in Christ, our lives within the family of God are meant to run on, our lives are incredibly free. They move, they go by restricting which fuel the moving truck uses, right? We actually become more free. There is a design to our lives. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And through this belief and knowing God, as you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there are foundational and fundamental changes that have happened in who you are. And now the life that will truly be satisfying, the life that you were truly meant for. And so God giving us his commands, God telling us to be obedient to them is actually an act of God's love and grace towards our lives truly being free. So just a few weeks ago, I'm in the gas station and, and I, I, grab, I, I grab the diesel handle to put into my car that runs on normal unleaded gas. I, I, I mean, right, how could I do that? So I did that. I grab it, I put it in, and it doesn't fit, right? Now they've, they've kind of changed, evidently, the handle, you know, the, the end of it, so that it won't go in a, a regular unleaded gas tank. And so as it doesn't go in, here's my first thought. I should push harder. There's something's wrong with this, right? I, I, let me choose another angle. Like, let me come at this from a different direction. So I try multiple times to put the diesel handle pump into my car. I'm thinking, man, that hole is really small. Maybe I can kind of shoot it into that hole. Like I've got to get gas. And then it dawns on me, I'm holding the wrong fuel. Like, ah. So I, I put it back. And it hit me, how, how often are Christians holding the wrong fuel? Like we're, we're grabbing things that, that no longer fit within this newly designed, reborn life. And we, we take these things that we used to do, we take these things that used to bring us satisfaction, or at least that's what we hoped that they would bring, and we begin to kind of continue to introduce them into our lives when God has newly designed us for a different kind of life, a different kind of fuel. This is what we begin to see. Anybody who would continually put the wrong fuel into their car, at some point, 
you'd begin to wonder, should they be driving? Should, should, they, should someone kind of take their driver's license away from them? And John says, if, if we know God, we say that we know God, and we continue to live in a life that looks, it doesn't, doesn't look like anything that God would have us do. It doesn't honor the commands of God. It doesn't follow any kind of the will of God for our lives. If we're not being obedient to things, at some point you have to wonder, is that, does that person even know God? Because to know him is to truly be changed by him. The truth of knowing Jesus transforms, it spills over into every area of our life. And we realize this, that God wants to give us a life that is free and full of meaning. And thank you, Lord, that he's not haphazardly just left it up to us to kind of wander through life with trial and error, but he's given us clear commands and directives on what it looks like for your life to be purposeful, deeply satisfying, filled with friendship and meaning and joy. Have you ever done something? And in doing it, you thought to yourself, I was meant for this. For some of you, it's like calculus. For others, it's video games. But you did this thing. You were part of this, and you're like, this is what I was made for. When God begins to offer us out his word as commands and directives for our life to shape our lives, it's what you are made for in Christ. And it's God's Love, it, it makes us love him even more when we realize he's been that intentional to give us things to do and things not to do in the way that our lives would run and the way that our lives would experience deep life. The second thing, not only does obedience reveal kind of the love of God to give us a design, but not only that, it perfects and completes love of God in that an obedient life strengthens our relationship with God, with God. Now, Jennifer doesn't like video games. Uh, my wife, knowing that kind of early on, was a bit of a struggle because I'm, I'm a product of the 80s. And so you give me 50 cents, give me two quarters, and I can spend a couple hours inside an arcade just kind of watching the games, watching people play, kind of picking the right game at the right moment so that I can make this quarter last as long as I can. And so when we began to date and into our engagement, early, you know, early marriage, I realized that she's never going to go to a video arcade with me. She has no desire to do that. It'll only be frustrating. It'll only be difficult. Um, but she'll play pinball. And I realized that if I would play pinball with her, then she and I would have an experience together. We could do this together, and I could enjoy her and get to know her through playing pinball. God's commands for us are the very things that God loves, the very things that God is connected to. And so when we say obey his word, love for God is truly made complete, what we realize this is it means that doing those things that God commands allows us not only to know God, but to have an experience of God, doing the very things that he also loves. So that when you and I forgive one another, 
When you and I love our enemy, when we honor our mom and dad, when we carry one another's burdens, when we do those things that God also loves, we we come alongside God in those things and experience him. And our love for God rounds out. Our love for God is, is completed because isn't the point to be with God? Isn't the point to be with him, to be alongside him? Obedience is not primarily the way that we keep God happy. Obedience is the way that we know God and experience him and enjoy him from believing to belonging to behaving. Listen, if if you get belonging and behaving reversed, you end up with all kinds of problems. We don't do certain things in order to make God happy or in order to be part of God's family or to be accepted by him, but we are accepted by him. And because we're accepted by him, then out of that, we live a certain way that honors him and honors who we now are. Listen, if you get those two things confused, you'll think that if you do something, you can get kicked out of God's family. That if I do this particular sin, that I no longer belong. If I behave a certain way, I no no longer belong. But you just go back into verse one and verse two of what John just said. John's given us, he's already clarified, you have a provision. He doesn't want us to sin, but if you do, you have an advocate in Jesus who is the atoning sacrifice for your sins, not just yours, but the rest of the world. God's already handled the what if I sin issue. That doesn't kick us out of the family. But our lives now are moving towards behaving in a way. It's not perfect obedience, but there's a trajectory to our lives, at least a desire within us to follow God's commands, to realize the design, the loving design he has for our lives and to be with him in the middle of it, to experience him that we would be together. Let me, let me hit this idea from another way. Verse six, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Who can do that? Who can do that? So John's just saying, if you want to show the world, if it wants to be, do you want to, to truly know God? To belong to him is to live. You must live as Jesus said. Who can do that? And that's the point. That's the point. Who can do that? That this is something that you cannot do without the power and the presence of God's spirit energizing you, moving through you. So when we pray, when we pray, God, help me forgive that person. When we pray, God, help me carry that person's burdens. God, when we pray, God, help me honor my mom and dad in this moment. And then we do it. It is the work of God in you to do those things. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Those that live by God's commands are those that must be empowered by the spirit of God. So our obedience actually creates an assurance in us that we are his. It creates a certainty in us that if I was truly able to forgive that person, if I was truly able to love my enemy in this moment, 
then that is a work of God confirming that you are his kid and you belong to him. And he is active in your life, moving to help you act and will. All of this, all this kind of following God in obedience, understanding his loving design for his life, kind of coming alongside God and the spirit of God working in us to do these things. All of this becomes a greater and greater experience of God's love in us for him. This is what John doesn't want us to miss. If your life up to this point has been about professing Christ and being Christian, but only in word, you're missing it. You're missing the deep love of God that comes when we begin to walk out obedience. When we begin to have our lives directed by his command. So that what John is saying, so, so let's obey. Let's allow the word of God to be the most directive thing in our life. Let submission of our will unto God, let that reveal what we were made for. Even the difficult things, even the things that are hard for us, even the things that we don't want to do, they're all things that we were meant for. Those things that God asks us to do are true because of our design and in faith, if we will walk those things out, if we will be obedient, there is an experience of God in that that is meant for you to experience a depth of his love and joy and certainty. Listen, if your life wasn't meant to experience a deep assurance of faith and a certainty in Christ in disobedience. It wasn't meant for that. But when our lives are conformed to the will of God and to the word of God, when we begin to walk out in that, there is an experience of the Lord and and, and his life in us and his power and his presence in us that lets you know that you know Jesus. Let's pray. God, you call us to obedience. And any religious experience that does not transform us and change us is not really knowing. God, help us to see that if we claim to know you without any regard to your commands, without having our lives shaped in our conduct, then we are lying. But we know God if we keep your commands. Remind us again that it's not perfect obedience that we're striving for here, but it is a a pattern of our life, a, a desired trajectory of our lives. And if we walk in obedience, there is a greater knowing that we experience your love in the design that gives us real freedom, your love in the experience of doing the things that you love to do, that you love to make happen, a knowing of you in that moment. God, I I pray that today would be just new insight and something fresh for our hearts to think about what it means to obey. 
and the joy in it and the love in it and the design of it. God, if, if we've been reluctant, if we have God, been, been standoffish or uncertain about this idea of you giving us things to do and things not to do, God, reshape that for us this morning to know that it is a depth of your love, a completeness and a perfecting of your love when we walk out obedient living. God, help us to love you more deeply, to see you for all of what you've done for us. God, if there's any area of disobedience that you might bring to our mind right now, any area in which, God, we know that this is somehow walking against your will. We know this is walking against your word. God, let us make a commitment right now to confess that. Thank you, Jesus that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, the provision has already been made. Jesus is our advocate. He is the atoning sacrifice for us. And if we agree with you that there is some freedom here for us to begin to walk in a way that truly is like what we were meant for. And what we were meant for is to deeply experience love, your love and our love for you. So God, empower us this morning to turn from anything that would deviate from a life truly changed in every area by the knowledge and wonder and love of Jesus. I pray this in his name.